Welcome back to the program. In about 15 minutes' time, Doug Ford will be holding a press conference at Queen's Park. He's back at Queen's Park today, although he continues his cross-provincial tour throughout the rest of the week, going here, hither, and yon. Uh, And he uh, he is expected to outline today who moves to stage three. And what we are reporting here on Global News Radio is that Toronto and Peel, along with Windsor-Essex, will not be moving to stage three, but the rest of the province, those are the other areas that have not obviously already moved to stage three, are expected to do so this Friday. As for Toronto and Peel, it looks like it's going to be a little, little bit more of a wait, perhaps another week, although no firm answer on that. And part of the answer is going to be informed by the case numbers. And again, we had case numbers today in the 130s, 135 exactly, the new cases in the last 24 hours. That's after a weekend of two days of in the 160s. And all of it has a lot of people thinking about a couple of different things, like mask policy, for example. I don't know if there's been new mask policies where you are, where you work, how you're dealing with it. Obviously, if you're going into stores, it's now mandatory. I know we have a new mask policy that began today here at Global News, here at the studio, which is odd because I've been coming here every single day since the pandemic began, and I'm not doing anything different. But now, except for now, when I go up and down the stairs, I'm wearing a mask and I'm huffing and I'm huffing. And part of that is to try to come into alignment with the rules that are now in place in you know, in all workplaces as we begin the reopening. But all of this raises a lot of questions because as we look at stage three, are we ready to move forward here in the province, even if we're not moving forward in Toronto and Peel? And are we going to see the kind of backsliding that they've seen in other places, like in Quebec, for example, where they're looking very closely at bars and restaurants, and they have all those young people trying to get tested because they've had an outbreak at bars and restaurants. To help me better understand the science of all of this, from masks to transmission rates, Dr. Matthew Outen is the attending physician of infectious diseases at the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal and joins me on the line. Welcome, Doc. Thank you so much for having me on. Let's begin with masks, and there has been so much talk from the beginning about, well, don't wear a mask, you don't need to, it only, you know, gives you a false sense of security, to now mandatory masks. Where is the science right now on how much masks actually do reduce transmission? So you raise an excellent point. That message has changed, the message coming from our various uh, levels of uh, public health authorities from the start of this pandemic until now. However, it's not that it's because people are being wishy-washy. It's that our understanding both of this particular infection that's driving this pandemic, as well as uh, the data supporting the use of non-medical mask wearing in public uh, places, this understanding has changed over the last few months. And there's now solid data on many levels to support that wearing a non-medical mask is an important means for reducing community transmission. I would still say that uh, the principles that remain include physical distancing and good hand hygiene, but that masking is another important adjunct, particularly because this infection, more so than most respiratory uh, infections, can be transmissible and, in fact, is most transmissible in the very early stages, even when people have not yet developed any symptoms. When we start talking about the reopening, the gradual reopening of the economy, and here in Ontario, as we move towards stage three, which includes in-restaurant 
dining, and we have the mayor of this city saying before we get there we have to put in even more restrictions, even more safety guidelines like wearing a mask when you're in the restaurant. How much of a concern is it to you that we're letting people go back into restaurants and bars? There's ways of doing it more safely or less safely. In the current context where you have a pandemic that is you know, global, it's really in the four corners of uh, the globe, and we know that there is still some level of community transmission in many areas in this uh, country, including both uh, Toronto as well as here in Montreal. You have to, and furthermore, you have to assume that the majority of the population remains susceptible. So there's no such thing as a completely perfect risk-free option here. But what you can do is make it as safe as possible. So if you want to have people be able to get out, enjoy life a little bit, go for uh, a good glass of wine and uh, a meal somewhere, then things you can do include uh, making sure that there's not uh, crowded conditions at uh, these uh, facilities, making sure that people are spaced as much as you uh, can, making sure that hand hygiene is easily available at the entry points and at the exit points, and making sure that uh, the patrons wear masks whenever possible. Obviously, you can't wear it when you're uh, eating and drinking, but you can, for example, if you need to get up and get to the washroom while you're entering uh, the restaurant, while you're exiting the restaurant. All of these things add together to greatly reduce the risk. What do we know about airborne transmission now? It seems like the science there has really moved in terms of open-air transmission and possible infection. Sure. So overall, this infection is certainly more transmissible in indoor settings simply because of reduced ventilation compared to what you have when you're, when you're outdoors. The uh, majority of uh, transmissions uh, still act by what in infection control circles are called respiratory droplets. That is to say these sort of medium-sized respiratory droplets that exit your mouth when you're speaking, when you're sneezing, when you're coughing, when you're singing. And this is the basis for which the physical distancing, this one to two meter uh, distancing, is uh, based on. That said, uh, there is uh, there is a certain contribution, probably overall in most circumstances, a very low contribution uh, from smaller uh, particles, uh, what we call sort of that directed aerosol transmission. That is uh, both of those uh, methods, the or both of those means, the medium-sized droplets, the respiratory droplets, and the smaller droplets, the the aerosol. Both of those are reduced when people wear masks across their mouths and their noses of any kind, including the uh, non-medical fabric-type masks, and that's partly why we're recommending that people do it. It's not perfect, but it seems to greatly reduce the transmission almost as much as uh, proper physical distancing. Should we prepare ourselves, brace ourselves for a spike in the numbers? Is that just inevitable as we reopen? It's, I wouldn't say it's inevitable, but uh, if you look into the history of viral pandemics, we have always had multiple waves. I'm not talking about a wave in terms of a small spike in numbers in one town or one region. I'm talking about kind of you know national and international pictures here. There's always been multiple waves. And if you look at something like the Spanish flu back in 1918, in fact, the second wave was a lot worse than the first wave. I wouldn't say it's absolutely inevitable that we will have a similar wave here. There's a lot of factors that roll into that, but I think we have to prepare ourselves on many levels, including things like production of personal protective equipment, making sure that our healthcare facilities, uh, both uh, things like hospitals as well as our long-term care facilities, are up to scratch, 
use all the information that we've learned from this first wave to prepare ourselves, assuming that there will be a second wave. If there isn't, okay, great. We've made our facilities a lot safer for a lot of other respiratory diseases as well. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But, but, is, that, but is that wave prompted by the reopening, or is the wave somewhat inevitable because that's just the way pandemics work? It could be, it could be a bit of both. Uh, obviously, if we uh, continue our uh, like very strict restrictions in an area, then that probably greatly reduces the local transmission. But of course, if this pandemic has taught us nothing else, it's that what happens anywhere in the world can have repercussions on other places in the world as well. So doing it in just one area doesn't necessarily help. I'm saying this thinking particularly at the moment of what's happening in America, that uh, a lot of people are watching this very, very closely. There's a huge amount of transmission and even worse, increasing transmission day by day in many states. Canada is so close to the United States, both geographically as well as culturally and economically, that it's hard to see how we're not going to be affected by that unless we remain very vigilant, do an excellent job of early case identification and contact tracing so that we sort of catch small problems before they snowball into much larger problems. And keep that border closed, including to baseball teams. All right, Dr. Matthew Outen, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me on. Dr. Outen is the attending physician of infectious diseases at the Jewish General Hospital in Montreal. And coming up in just a few short moments, Doug Ford with the announcement that further portions of this province will move to Stage 3, but Toronto and Peel and Windsor-Essex will not be among them. And as someone who lives in Toronto, I think it's an absolutely right call. I want to go to the back to the gym as badly as anybody else. In fact, I need it probably worse than you. Trust me on this. And I don't think we're ready. I don't think the numbers are there. I think we have to wait. I think this is the right call.